9-11 has a whole different meaning to us these years after that tragic event. I suppose before then you knew you could call the number 911. But when anybody says to you today, 9-11, then you know what they're referring to. And we are here on a Sunday that is 9-11. Not too many of them, right? Since that 21-year-ago event. It's interesting when I think about 9-11. I think about the um, intent of the terrorist to bring terror into our country and uncertainty into our life. And in one sense, we are much more mindful of violence and there is more uncertainty in our world today than there was 21 years ago before that event. But they didn't accomplish what they wanted to do, did they? In fact, on the other side of 9-11, there was a great coming together of people. There was a sense of unity and oneness that was not seen before. Part of that was because we realized our own humanity and we realized that um, nothing is certain in life. But we also empathized one with another. We empathized with people's lives that were lost. I went to graduate school in the New York City area, and many times I would take friends and family um, up to the um, World Trade Towers. And so the idea that those things came toppling down on that day is just striking in the sense that I've been there, done that, would do that very often. And um, I am mindful that the um, tragedy of that day uh, is scarring to so many people who lost loved ones and other things. but there is a sense of beauty that I saw in humanity and that you saw in humanity during those days and weeks after that I wish that we could go back and touch some today with the culture and the climate of our national discourse. Some of you remember where you were when the events of 9-11 happened. And you saw them and you watched them over and again on TV and Tower 1 fell and Tower 2 fell. The Pentagon was hit. Where's this plane at in Pennsylvania? Oh my gosh, it went down. And there was just that stunning moment that sort of branded into our mind. Now, some of us are a little bit younger in this room today and it's interesting. I guess there's a generation now that you're starting to look back with stories about 9-11 in the regards that, um, like, I guess I do, World War II. Like, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen some of that, those kinds of things. But for those of you who remember that event, it's almost palatable to taste. And we are thankful for God's faithfulness and sustaining and supporting us in it. But I find myself um, looking back on that week when I saw it on the TV, I was awoken to it and directed to it. I remember going to church, and uh, our staff at that time was um, very much uh, concerned about uh, what we should be doing as a church, and we didn't know. Never been there before. So we opened up the church that evening. Uh, we had a nice baby grand piano at that church, and we just had a gathering 
like this, and people came. And I remember standing around the baby grand piano, singing hymns, and just praying out to God for him to be able to work in that situation. And church attendance happened. Do you remember this? It flew high. People started coming to church. Why? There was a seeking. There was a seeking for comfort, direction, certainty. There was a coming together, and the coming together, you had something uh, that was common in spirit. And I want to um, touch a base with that because I'm going to carry on today a conversation that we've had the last couple weeks and appreciate Trey speaking last week and bringing God's word. But there's something about a coming together of humanity that I believe happens in the body of Christ and in church life that is beautiful. And it's not only beautiful for this day and age, it's beautiful for into eternity and all that God has for us. And that sense of coming together is needed for you and for me and is needed in our world today. And we need to prioritize the coming together of people around the purposes of God and seeking him and worshiping him and hearing from him that is a rich, vital need in our life today. It was interesting. Uh, we had a unique week of our own sorts in this valley, did we not? And especially if you're from the Hemet area, we had um, the reality, at least for this Midwestern boy, the reality that there are fires that can happen and fires that can happen really close. So this here is a picture of our backyard and um, thankfully I like it because we're up high and we can overlook away, but this is the Hemet direction here. And I remember walking out this week, I'm going like, oh, oh, that's, that's a little bit close, right? A little bit too close for comfort and our prayers and all that. But then the week just kept moving on and the week didn't necessarily get better. And what started as a small fire swelled to, what, 28,000 acres eventually. And they're still trying to fully contain it this week. But the day after, the evening after, uh, the day after this evening, I took this picture. I walked out in the backyard and I had this competing scene looking to the north, looking to the south. And the competing scene had to do with the storm that was coming and the winds that were going to blow. And would these winds from the north? start to bring ambers, and you don't see this picture, but I live along a hillside, and so if that thing lights up, we're not in a good place. And we all experienced the ash and the falling of it this week, and it's like, well, well those ambers, if they lit my hill on fire, then I, I've got some issues. And the evacuation warning versus order line was right down the hill from our house here. And so we were trying to make the decision, well, what do we do? Do we uh, leave? Do we go somewhere? Do we stay What's all part of it? We'd been gone for a week. I didn't really want to leave again kind of idea. But we had had our bags packed. We had our bags packed depending upon what was going to happen. There was uncertainty. And one of the things I found of beauty, and love you all guys, is that some of you texted us and said, we know you're in an evacuation area. If you need a place to come, you can come to our house. And... I thought, well, that's great. I'll just come and party and eat your food. No, it's, it, it was this idea that 
thank you. Thank you for offering that. I love the community of Christ, the body of Christ, the coming together. And when there's uncertainty, the body of Christ rises up and takes on the opportunity to be a family. And that's what we are to be. Pastor Trey last week referred to a statement that the Alliance uses saying that we are to be a Christ-centered, Acts 1-8, family. Centered on Christ, centered on his mission that's recorded in Acts 1-8, but we're to be a family together. And my thought this week when we had our bags packed and we had some options, some places to go, my question was, what about people that don't have options or places to go? And you think, oh, well, surely somebody's got... Well, you know what I've realized in life? That the richness of community that I've had through all the years with um, a great family environment growing up that was intact and we worked together uh, as well as uh, played and did things together is that that's not a common thing for everybody. The idea that you're in a church community where people really love and care on you, even sometimes when they hurt you, is, is that... That's not something everyone has. And we live in such a transient valley. You know, usually when I meet somebody new, I'll ask them, uh, you know, are you from around here or not? In fact, I asked someone here this morning that I met you from here. Because there's not people who say, oh, I've been here for 100 years. Well, no, you haven't been here for 100 years because there wasn't anything here but cows probably 100 years ago or, you know, uh, Native Americans. It's the moving in, and even in the last you know, few decades, and even since I've been here for almost a decade now in this valley, it's a transit. And so there's a lot of times people don't have that community. They don't have that connectedness. Do you? Do you have family? I'm, I'm not talking biological family. Yeah, hopefully so. But do you have family that's nearby that would love and care for you? even in the midst of some challenging, difficult times. I, um, Melissa and I, we journeyed up north. Some of you have been asking, how did your trip go up to northern California? And Levi was with us as well. To drop our daughter off at college in Reading. And what I can tell you is that California is a long state when you drive it. And we took the slow route coming back. We came Highway 1 down the coast, and there's an awful lot of good beauty. <laughs> and uh, I had the top down on the convertible, and we just enjoyed the slow ride on the way back. And um, we got our daughter uh, dropped off there, but we ended up going to a church last Sunday morning. It was actually pastored by the grandson of a pastor that I had earlier in my life. It's an Alliance Church in Reading called The Stirring. That's a young adult church. There's a lot of energy there. They do um, sort of, um, they have seating in the round, and the guy speaks in the middle. And I had met with um, the pastor's uh, dad earlier in the week, who I knew, and he said, Carrie, it'd be great to have you at The Stirring. And, uh, you know, they run a couple thousand people and a lot of uh, good things happening there. And he says, but you need to know that on Sunday, it's going to be sort of a somber Sunday because of what's happened this week. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, you know, we have a training program for uh, young people that would like to be able to consider to grow in Christ, to be a part of uh, maybe uh, doing ministry someday. And there was a young gentleman who had uh, been in this program, and, and he 
had been in and out of some of his challenges in life, and this last week he died of an overdose. And it's really hit the church hard. And so during that service, uh, which was a rich service of worship, right, a couple rows back on the one side was the family of this young man who had lost his life that week. And just to see the pulse of the church and the caring and during worship and some prayer time, the coming around of that mom and the dad and the siblings, I thought to myself, what do you do if you don't have family? Because grief isn't something that you uh, process out loud and make sense of. Grief is a journey that you just carry with one another. And 9-11 was evidence of that. There weren't a lot of answers and questions. And yeah, you just needed to have presence. And you know what that's like. Some of you have lost loved ones. And when, when you, you don't have words you want to express or you don't have it. But the presence of people that care and love for you is huge. But I want to look at our culture today and I'm like, I don't, I don't know that there's enough of that going around. And one of the reasons that there's not enough of that going around is because we get all tracking on other things that we think are maybe of more importance. It, being able to have good jobs and good careers and, and monetary means and nice places to live, you know, all that, there's importance to that. But sometimes it keeps us so scattered and running all different directions that we don't cultivate community and family and the bonds that we need to have one for another. Friends, I want you to know there's only two things that are going to last forever. The Word of God and people. The Word of God and people. And we need to be endearing ourselves to truth and all that God has in Jesus Christ for this day and age and as we will worship him through eternity and we need to be endearing ourselves into reaching out and loving and caring for one another as we move through life. But is that at the top of our priority list or are we running scattered in so many different directions that we don't cultivate rich, biblical community? And so I want to just share today a little bit on this whole aspect of responsibilities of a biblically functioning community. The biblically functioning community. And I want to ask you this question. Is the church, to you, a club you freely receive benefits from? Or is the church, the body of Christ, a movement that you sacrificially make investments into? Because this movement called the church, or as scripture talks about, the bride of Christ, is going to be ushered and carried forward into eternity after our brief years. You know, we saw some coming together this week with Queen Elizabeth passing away, 96 years old. And as a solid Christian lady, she's probably, you know, she's experienced the beauty of being carried forward and is sort of in the, the uh, the sadness of all that is sort of neat to see. Maybe there's some coming together, some healing in that royal family, maybe between uh, William and Harry and those kinds of things. Talking about another evidence of when there's death and dying, you start to right-size reality and what's important. Well, what's important is the Word of God and people. 
And as it relates to people, it relates to the body of Christ, which is a calling out of people who seek him to follow him and to serve his purposes. And we need to be devoted into making investments, investments into the movement of the church being carried forward into eternity. Those of us that are believers in Christ in this very room today, we will see each other a Google years from now. Before Google became Google, you know what Google was? It was a number. It's one with a hundred zeros behind it. And you will be live in a Google years as a believer in Christ. And we will know one another and many others from every language, tribe, and nation around the world. This is a movement that Jesus started when he was raised from the dead and people were called out to follow him. And in this movement, we are moving through our earthly life, but we will move through an eternal life. And this is where our investment needs to be made. I remember one gentleman used to give this uh, challenge when he was interviewing somebody for a job. He would sort of, you know, take them out, wine them, dine them a little bit, get them relaxed, try to find out maybe what they're made of a little bit. And then uh, he would lean across the table at a a strategic moment and say, what is your purpose in life? And he did that to this one individual, and and he didn't him haul around, those kinds of things. The other individual that he was interviewing came right back and said, to go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. Friend, that's a vision, to take as many people with you into eternity as a part of the bride of Christ as we can. But a lot of times, this whole church thing becomes a club mentality of what's the benefits, what's in it for us. We fall into church shopping rather than kingdom building. And responsibilities for us in a biblically functioning community is to see clearly what we're trying to create. Not a club, not a social arena. We are seeking to be the bride of Christ, his body, serving his purposes on mission for this day and age, and we get to do this. Never grow weary and tired of it. Even if your schedule seems to be so super packed, maybe it's a difficult season of life, maybe there's some church hurt that's gone on prior years. Friends, as I said a couple weeks ago, a body of Christ is not perfect because none of us are perfect We are sinners saved by God's grace and seeking to be transformed by him. But devote yourself to the body of Christ and make it a priority. Make it a priority once every seven days of your life, yes, to gather, but this isn't church. This is a church service. The church is the people. Gray gave reference to that beautifully again last week. And as a people, we live in community with one another throughout the course of a week. So, What are the responsibilities of a biblically functioning community? We bannered this few weeks here that you belong here. And by the way, if uh, you're asking, well, how did that go dropping the daughter off? Uh, Maybe Grace was watching today. I don't know. Uh, We love you, Grace. Uh, She may be 10 hours away, but she's right here in our hearts. And it was hard letting the girl go on her journey. My guys was not a problem. See you later, mom and dad. We left our daughter in tears. 
There's an awful lot of change happening in her life. But we are so grateful. And there's stories that have come out of this very week. Melissa is probably on text with her about every hour, I think. But there's stories that have come out of this very week of her being at Simpson University where the body of Christ has been a rich, functioning body and been supportive in some really cool kind of ways. She felt God's voice speak to her. I was on video last week with the Adirondack chairs, and, and Trey, no, I can take a day off, but uh, I just thought you might want to see the red Adirondack chairs. I, I know he kidded me last week about doing an intro video, but uh, those Adirondack chairs that she sat in, and she heard the voice of God in a prayer time that we had back in May that said, you belong here. She's had to lean back into that. In fact, we've told her, and this is a really good statement for you when God's spoken to you at times about strategic moves. I got a family over here that this is their last Sunday, and you guys are moving to Tennessee and been on down to Carolinas. Um, Rich and Jen over here, and I'm like, you know, don't doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. You belong here, Grace. God spoke to her. Challenging things this week. Oh my gosh, this is going to be hard. This is different. Grace, don't doubt in the dark, the hard times, what God showed you clearly in the light. So this whole concept of you belong here is, a, is not just the voice that was spoken to my daughter concerning where she was to go to college at, but it's this idea that God would speak it to you this morning again. You belong here. And it's not in, okay, the awakening church. You belong here in my church family, God would say, wherever that may end up being. You belong here. You belong in the richness of community. You belong here in the center of my will, forwarding my purposes. You belong here. And don't feel like even if, if maybe there's harm been done, that you're on the outskirts and you're not wanted. We want you in the body of Christ through the highs and the lows. And we will seek out his will and his provision for you the best we can. And a lot of times we'll fall short that you are a part of a family, whether it's wildfires that uh, might make you vacate or some other kind of tragedy that happens or something that you just want to, you know, stand up and shout and rejoice about. Let's be family to one another. When Jesus was instituting this idea of family, isn't it interesting when Jesus came? Have you thought about other ways he could have done things? He could have come with a Superman cape on. He could have uh, waved a wand and changed all the problems of the world. He could have uh, come through a family of notoriety and been prestigious and been a political uh, leader in the kingdoms of that day. But Jesus, meek and lowly, was born in a major to um, a lowly couple and then when he started his ministry at the age of 30, he didn't stand up and, and, and say, I need to go get some videos made and be able to put out there in the culture, uh, you know, some good uh, uh, commercial spots about me. No. What did he do? He just started picking people. Hey, come follow me. Come follow me, it says in John. Peter and Andrew and John and Bartholomew and Philip and, and Nathaniel. And he, just come follow me. He gathered around him a community. And then as he moved to the cross, he began to speak really harsh. I think harsh in one sense because of where their mindset was a lot of times. And 
one of the key phrases that he said was this very phrase right here, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. You know, there's about a, a hundred and some one another's in scripture, which is interesting because you can unpack all those one another's and you're like, wow, that's, that's a lot of one another's. That's right. Because the vision of the movement of the kingdom is a community of people. And whenever you bring people together, you're going to have one another's. Even if you don't really care for every one another that's in your circle or something, right? You are commanded. You ever thought about the dynamics of those 12 that he picked? They had a lot of dynamics going on. We don't, we'll get to read about it or meet them someday and hear more about it. But they had a lot of dynamics going on. And he said, love one another as I have loved you. Now, he said that this was a new commandment, a new commandment. And really, why was it new? A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The new part was this sacrificial part of the love. He was about to show them on the cross what it meant to love someone. He took our sin upon himself. He died on a cross as a, a criminal and thief, according to the public knowledge at that time. And then he was raised from the dead and the power of that resurrection and the defeat of Satan and the transformation that can come to individuals. He began to spread like wildfire, like we looked at a couple of weeks ago, is that many, many thousands of people were added to their number daily. And that community, that family that was being gathered together, they had some clear instructions and their clear instructions, well, there's a lot of one another's, but foremost was this love another person like I've loved you which means lay down your life for them. Begins in a marriage. Marriage, it talks about mutual submission to one another, and then men are challenged to love their wife of Christ, love the church, which means what? Lay down your life for your spouse. And I can unpack that as to what maybe that might mean, but you know what? The Holy Spirit, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, can speak to you directly what that means in your life right now, whether it's with your spouse, with your wayward child, with a co-worker you're having troubles with, maybe a neighbor that just gets on your nerves. What does it really mean to love one another? Foremostly, the love of one another had to do with the body of Christ, though, and you come back and you say, what does that mean in the church to love one another? So we are called to the community of Christ to a biblically functioning community. We are called to this family that's God's creating for eternity because we belong here in the body of Christ. It's his purpose. It's his destiny for us. But all of us have been a part of dysfunctional communities. Are you living in a dysfunctional family right now? I said, hopefully that royal family is getting some things worked out this week. Sounds like a little bit of dysfunction there with some of the people. Wherever you have people, you're going to have some dysfunction, whether it's in the family or a community. How about a dysfunctional church? You ever been at a dysfunctional church? That, that'll scatter the people really quick. Dysfunctional workplace. Mm, you got to hit it tomorrow, maybe. We can all identify dysfunction sometimes, but if we're going to move away from dysfunction, then we have to be able to focus 
on what a functioning biblical community is. So I'm going to give you four things for this idea of a biblically functioning community. And some of you may have heard references to these before, but we're going to go through these quickly. But the purpose of these is for us just to remind ourselves, especially as the Awakening Church family, what it means for us to be sacrificial and to love one another as we're devoted to building a rich biblical community. And maybe you've heard me say this before, but I'm becoming more and more convinced about this. Maybe some of you are here this morning or watching online as a result of this. I believe people will get connected to a community of Christ or see the beauty of Jesus in a community of Christ before they ever make a commitment to Christ. If we have a biblically functioning community, it's attractive. It's contagious. Wow, you had people care for you like that? Going through those difficult times? Or man, that just really sounds fun and sweet. You know, we got that movie night coming up. Part of that is just, hey, let's just do something fun and gather and enjoy community with one another. A biblically functioning community is a powerful tool for evangelism. And that's why, for us, one of our desires really is to see health in our body from one season to the next so that we can be a powerful means of evangelism and reaching other people and sharing with them the message of Jesus by being the body and the presence of Jesus. So here's responsibility number one. Responsibility number one is personal purity and maturity. Personal purity and maturity. I want to call on us to bring to the church to bring to the church a submitted, spirit-filled self. That's your own personhood, referencing that. To bring to the church a submitted, spirit-filled self who is being transformed by a growing intimacy with Jesus. You and I, as a community together as the body of Christ, are no greater than the components that make up that community. And so for us to be a rich, biblically functioning community, it's important for each of us to encourage one another to be growing in our personal spiritual growth, not bringing in stagnant goods that are soured and old and cranky, but to bring in to a community, whether in a life group, whether along the pathway during the course of a week and interacting with one another, whether on a Sunday morning, that we come not glossing over challenges in our life, but come with a genuine spirit of growing deeper in Jesus. Your intimacy with Jesus is sometimes said is the greatest gift you have to give to the world, and your intimacy with Jesus is the greatest gift you have to give to the body of Christ. And if you are not growing in your intimacy and your richness with Christ, then there's a good chance that the health of the church that you're a part of will be wayward. So also in your family life, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with my family here, here, and here, and all this type of stuff going on. I can't control this. This has happened. Well, one thing you can do is you can make sure you're coming back and recentering yourself on Jesus Christ and that you're bringing a submitted, spirit-filled self because your personal purity and your maturity is of 
utmost importance. It says this in John 15, 5. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's nothing you can do about the community dysfunction you're in, the family challenges. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, he can make changes and work through you and others to bring transformation. So your commitment to be a part of a biblically functioning community is, I'm in. I'm in to be growing in Christ and make it a serious matter. Pastor Zach mentioned that Rooted started, and I'm looking forward to Rooted starting tonight. We have some individuals um, that are going to be a part of Rooted, some others that nah, I'm not sure if I'm in or out yet. And then we got this open invitation here this morning as he gave, come and be a part of Rooted, even for one night to check it out and see if you might like it. Because a 10-week journey of spiritual depth and intensity can bring transformation in your life that will last not only a lifetime, but into eternity. But is that important to you? Or maybe the group life that you're a part of and being devoted to that to sharpen one another. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But the body and the presence of Jesus is found through the community of Jesus in many ways. And apart from him, you can do nothing. So, priority number one, personal purity and spiritual maturity. You bring that. I'm saying I'm on it. All right? Responsibility number two is relational integrity and empathy. To pursue honorable, to pursue honorable and loving relationships in the family, among friends, co-workers, neighbors, and in the church body. You know, it doesn't really do any good if one part of the body is healthy and another part of the body is sick. You sort of have to all be working together to uh, not mistreat one another, to be able to be there and support one another. Even a, in, a, in a normally healthy person, a diseased liver will ultimately end up affecting the heart. So every part of the body needs to be healthy. And this responsibility of relational integrity and empathy has to do with us being healthy one with another. Healthy one with another. Some of you are in the middle of some major conflict with another person right now. Maybe that other person's in this very room. What are you going to do about it? I'm just going to go out a separate door than they go out. I'm going to avoid them. Because it's just awkward. I don't dislike them. I'm hurt. I just, I don't, I don't want to see them today. Well, that very touch of pain that you're feeling points you to responsibility number two, which is that you need to pursue loving and honorable relationships one with another and then in the body of Christ because if you don't, that sickness in one part of the body can spread to another part of the body, especially if there's the end run going, do you know what they did to me? Do you know what Satan loves to work his division through churches. And he begins with church leadership, and I'm always mindful of trying to keep that intact and protect it. In responsibility number two, there's this verse in 2 Corinthians that um, the Apostle Paul says, he says, For our proud confidence is this, that in holiness and godly sincerity we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. 
he's really mindful as he says this in 2 Corinthians 1.12, that there's a responsibility that we all have and he as a leader has. In Romans 12.18, it says this, so far as it is up to you, be at peace with all men. A couple series ago, we talked about resolving conflict, owning your piece of the pie and doing some other kinds of things, but it's, it's a weekly thing that we seek to have that resolve. As far as it's up to you, live at peace with them. Maybe they don't want to live at peace with you, but as far as it depends on you. Pastor Trey mentioned it last week, and I just want to touch back upon it this week because this is good medicine for our soul. And it's good instruction for us as a community. When there is relational conflict, Scripture is pretty clear because in that relational conflict, one person or the other is going to feel like they were sinned against or maybe both of them. And when you feel like somebody has sinned against you or done you wrong, you don't do the end run and tell a bunch of people or just put it, you know, I'm going to put that on social media as some type of passive aggressive statement and that'll nail them. That's of the world. That's not a part of the beauty of a biblically functioning community. And so it was referenced last week, this Matthew 18 thing. I'd just like to return there quickly and just uh, tag it and encourage us with it because uh, Biblical instruction is pretty clear. If another believer sins against you, got that person in mind? Maybe you've been that person to someone else. Then there's three steps. Step number one is this. Scripture says, if this person has sinned against you, go privately and point out the fault. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. This is so hard. Anybody find this easy? No. I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't even know if they saw it, what they've done to me. What do you mean go to them? Pastor, will you go to them? Will you tell them this? You come to me, I'm going to ask you, have you gone to them first? I can't do that. I can't. That's too hard for me. I don't like conflict. You do it. So I'm coming to you, Pastor. I'm sorry, I'm trying to stay biblically here. Biblically, one believer to another, if there's sin that's gone on, you need to go. And when you go, don't go into a hot, haughty, you know, uh, arrogant you know, spirit. Go with some humility, but say, you know, this happened between us, and I took offense to it. It hurt me. Oh, I never knew. Or, well, you deserved it. You don't know what kind of response you're going to get, but you take it. As far as it depends on you, live at peace and harmony with one another. And step number one, if somebody sins against you, then you go to them personally, one-on-one. And there's no guarantee. You may have the door slammed in your face, and so you go to step number two. And step number two says this, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Take a good friend. Don't gang up on the other person. Maybe they need to have a friend there too. But a lot of times the third party person helps be able to discern and distinguish between problems and interactions and challenges. Well, this is what I hear. This is what I see. Now, you may be wrong, that third person may be, but at least it helps in the context of the conversation. And so in this process of reconciliation, you are moving from step one Having gone personally, if that doesn't resolve things, then you're going to take another friend with you for step two, but you still may have the door slammed in your face and say, I don't ever want to see you again. So then what do you do? 
just stay around and huff and puff for a while? No, step number three is if that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church or to the leaders. Ah, then you can come to me. And there's a lot to be said about peacemaking efforts, and it's one of the roles of uh, the elders of our church, and uh, maybe it's your small group leader, that they can step in and maybe bring some shepherding kind of encouragement to bring reconciliation. Now, you can read what it says after that, but the reality is that still may not work, and there's biblical instruction into it. But I don't find us really doing step one, two, and three all that much a lot of times. We just stew on it for a long time, thinking time will heal wounds. And time may help in some mentions, right-size it, but it doesn't heal the wound. So that's responsibility number two, biblically functioning community, to pursue um, honorable and loving relationships, relational integrity, empathy, dealing with reconciliation. What do you think responsibility number three needs to be? There's part of me that doesn't want to throw this one up there, but I am, because I've been in church work too long. Church work can have its own issues. Responsibility number three is organizational favorability and loyalty. To contribute to the church your time, talents, and treasure, to be responsive and encouraging to the leadership God has established. There's a lot of failure in church leadership today, a lot of pastors falling, and it's a scarring impact on the body of Christ. And I'm sorry if that's been a part of your journey. I do my best to follow the Lord as he leads me, but we will fail at times. But in that, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have support of leadership of those around us and that we shouldn't participate in that leadership with the gifts and the talents and the treasures that God brings to us. It says this in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your spiritual leaders. Obey your spiritual leaders and recognize. Recognize their authority, for they keep watch over your soul without resting, since they will have to give an account to God for their work. So it will be of benefit so it will benefit you when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. And keep praying for us, it says right after that, the writer of Hebrews, that we continue to live with a clear conscience, for we desire to live honorably in all that we do. As much as spiritual leaders might fail you in life, there is a day of accountability before the Lord that we all carry, and even one to another in our leadership. There is a day of reckoning, so let's support and encourage one another the best we can. If there's changes we feel need to be made as a church, let's bring them out of the closet, put them in the light, and have an appropriate conversation about them. But do not allow the adversary to bring division into a body of Christ or amongst leadership. We have a responsibility in a biblically functioning community, to be together. Don't rock the boat, they sometimes say. You know, help row the boat. And that's the concept that you need to have in a church life, especially when you think that the church is going off its rails. There's responsibility number four. So I end with this. 
It's missional responsibility and humility. To seek, to serve more than to be served. As you labor pragmatically to forward the kingdom reign of God on earth as it is in heaven. We need to serve one another and use our gifts to serve one another. If you were to look at scripture, one of the most astounding things that Jesus ever did was right before he was crucified. You remember what he did in the upper room? He washed his disciples' feet, which was the serpent's job. They walked dusty roads. They had sandals. Feet were filthy. Servant, bring your basin over here. Wash this person's feet. But Jesus took the towel and he took the basin and he washed his disciples' feet. It says this in John chapter 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. That's responsibility number three, right? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. I don't know. I can sort of picture some of the disciples just doing a big collective gulp. Me? One of Jesus, me? Do to others as I have done for you. When I graduated from Taylor University, Christian school in the Midwest, with our diploma, they gave us a servant's towel. To say, hey, you got your diploma, you got your decree, you belong here, you belong in the body of Christ, but as part of the body of Christ, here's your servant's towel, and you go wash other people's feet. One of the most moving experiences I've ever personally had happened in the middle of India a number of years ago when I was there with some other friends, and we went for a two-hour drive out into the middle of nowhere, no man's land. And as we were seeking to do an evangelistic outreach meeting underneath a rooftop and, and tons of people and all kinds of colorful saris and other things gathered around to hear, we led off by doing a foot washing ceremony. Westerners washing the feet of 80-year-old women and men wrinkled from the sun and the heat and the power of that foot washing service. They had bands wrapped around them of some of the gods that they followed. And I remember those being cut off afterwards and people coming to know Christ in that moment. There we were, just doing a simple foot washing, humbling ourselves to say, we are not high and mighty, but we come in the name of Jesus who came to serve and not to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. Is that your disposition in the body of Christ to serve? Or do you see this place as a club shopping for self-centered interest rather than a movement of Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family service? May we as a church Continue to have our faces set in that direction 
of being a biblically functioning community of Christ. I'm going to close, and, and we'll have a refrain of a song here a little bit, but a lot of times when I prep messages, there's two things I know I need to answer. One is, what do I want them to know? And I think I've been sort of clear with that, not only this week, last few weeks, I want you to know that you belong here in the family and the body of Christ. But we want to be a biblically functioning family, and there's responsibilities that we bring. So one question is what I want people to know, but the second question is what I want you to do. Because it's nice to hear some good, encouraging words, hear about Jesus washing people's feet. Yeah, we'll do that, but hey, we'll see you later. Got some lunch to go to. Great. I want to see you make some action points today. And these may sound redundant to you, but there's substance behind these initial steps. In front of you every week in your chair has been uh, three items. There is a connect card. There is a serve card. And there's an offering envelope. Guess what? All those responsibilities we talked about today can be focused on some action steps you can do through these three things. And so the Connect card, and Pastor Zach mentioned it up front, we want everybody to fill one out today. I want you just to take those moments and do that. Sometimes we don't have updated information in a database, but um, take the moment, fill that out. And if you're online, you can fill out something online and send it in. But Drop this card in the baskets on your way out, or the baskets will be passed in a second if you're done filling it out. But on the back side of this, um, there's two things I want to draw your attention to in particular. One is I'm interested in a life group. And on your way out today, there are lists of cards of different life groups. And I found out there's a couple more that I've not even put on here yet. And we can direct and give attention to that. Just email connect at theawakeningchurch.com if you're online. Or mark that, I'm interested in a life group, and I'll make sure in the coming week or so that you have a community of family. And maybe you've tried one, that's not working, maybe try another, but seek to be a part of it. And it's like, I can't make it every week. Well, try to make it every week. And if it's every other week, that becomes your family. And when tragedy and sadness and opportunity come along your path, then you, you have a broader family. So fill out the Connect card, everybody today. And then, Mark, I'm interested in a life group. And then there's this other place. And this is a bold step. What I just walked you through with the four responsibilities of biblical community is actually found in our participating membership handbook at this church. And there's a place to mark, I'm interested in membership. And I won't go into all of it, but I'll send you this handbook. And you can decide if you want to become like an official kind of member of the church. But... This isn't, you know, um, a place where we have everybody else do everything else. It's a place that we are the proprietors. We stock the shelves. We do the work here. And so being a member is just saying, hey, I'm in. I'm in. And so you can mark that on this Connect card. And then with that whole idea of being able to serve and realize this is our own place, um, this serve card is really... You may say I'm overblowing this statement, but this serve card may very well be your first step 
into a radically different Christian life. When I started serving, I didn't wash people's feet, but when I started serving in a biblically functioning community, my spiritual growth went leap and bounds because I was challenged to grow spiritually. That responsibility, number one. I was challenged to have the relational integrity one with another. I was challenged to be able to support and be favor, have favorability as part of leadership. And I was found to be one who needed to offer more than I had. Are you serving? And maybe you're serving a little. Maybe you can serve some more. I want you to know as pastor of the Awakening Church, lead pastor, there are significant steps that we need to be taking to see this church grow. But they will not happen because this church is not being built on the back of paid staff. I'm the only full-time staff person at this church. And I think God has that, at least for this season, for a reason. It's all in. Let's serve. Our student ministry is critically in need of female leadership right now. Our children's ministry, going through some transition. We need support. There's other individuals, and um, yeah, I'm going to pull the card. I'm going to ask Holly if she'd come up. I actually need a microphone up here. I sat down with her beforehand. She says, I'm not an upfront person. Can I just stand? And um, I said, well, you can. Holly sent me two emails this last week, and I didn't get around to either one of them. I was still coming off the Northern California burnout. But God's led it on your heart. There's a group that you have on Wednesday. You can share about that briefly to invite ladies to. But then there's this other cool idea that you sent to me that I just want us to know. These are the kinds of things that come from somebody that says, I'm going to wash feet. Let's just do something. I'm going to take initiative. So you're good, right? I'm Holly. Um, so I have a Wednesday night women's group in my home in French Valley. And we're actually going to be starting a new book, um, The Armor of God by Priscilla Schreier, on September 21st. Um, so if you're a lady and you're interested, let me know. Um, and then the Lord laid um, this on my heart about a year ago. And so I've been kind of going through the process this year and what it would look like for awakening and what it would look like for you and for me and our community. Um, so Revelation Wellness is a ministry. It's a nonprofit ministry that fuses fitness and sharing the gospel in our communities. Um, so went through the process and um, became a Revelation Wellness instructor so that I could actually walk with you um, in a better place and, and point you to Christ even more so. Um, so what that looks like, what God has laid on my heart for this season, the prayer walk every Friday morning that would start here um, and we will walk around the community for about a half an hour. That will, um, there, there will be segments to it. Um, there's being still and quiet before the Lord because the community is so loud and everybody's pulling at our attention. And I think that the Lord is telling us to just be still so we can learn to listen to him. 
and then there'll be prayer and we'll be praying for one another laying hands on each other we will be praying for our community our local church the global church and then there will be time for praise and worship and to glorify god in that um all while walking one step at a time in our community putting the rubber to the floor so if you're interested in a friday morning prayer walk let me know do you have maybe when you might start that or just come talk to you come and talk to me we i actually have laid out the map already um i was just waiting to know when when i had the green lights to announce i'm it. responding to her email this morning here <laughs> I'm good to go. I think it's a beautiful thing, Holly. There's so many things that come together with this, the rich community, of course. But what we've walked through just in the last few weeks, uh, prior on the, the authority of the believer, for us to be able to have altar areas to come and to pray before service or during service, after service, for us to elevate this whole aspect of prayer in our body, um, I think is divinely led of the Lord. And so thank you for taking that initiative step out of the grandstands, be more on the field, and to help lead us as a church. Thank you. 9.30. 9.30. So you can still sleep in a little bit. Talk to Holly <laughs> afterwards on that. School. That's good. So, yes, thank you. So you've got your connect card you're going to fill out here before you leave today. You've got your serve card. You need to fill this out. Even if you're already serving somewhere, just remark that. And then this offering envelope here. I think it's one of the biggest steps individuals make in being a part of a local body is to say, I am going to be obedient to the Lord in the giving of tithes and offerings. And tithe is, stands for the 10% aspect of our income. I'm going to take an initiative, and maybe it's just increasing with where you're at, but to give on a regular basis. And whether it's through an envelope that sits in front of you or whether it's by giving online, by texting that word to that number that's above for you, be consistent in giving sacrificially to the Lord's purposes. That means you're in. It means you're in. Can you still have dysfunction and sin going on in your life? Sure, but you're making steps to grow spiritually and to be a part of what God is seeking to do in our local community, our family. You belong here. Next week, we are going to um, step into something that God's putting on my heart for us as a family. And I don't know where it's going, just like I didn't know where the authority of the believer thing's going, but I'm being obedient to the Lord. Many years ago, I was influenced by a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill, one of the foremost revivalists that American and UK has known. And he wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. And that book, title, maybe not necessarily all the things, but I, I can't get away from that title and God saying, I want you to lead the awakening body into some weeks related to this subject of why revival tarries. It's about personal spiritual awakening, but it's also about the awakening of the evangelical church in our culture today. Will you pray for me? Will you come next week? In fact, come at 9.30. We're working hard at trying to craft that 9.30 to um, 9.50 time to have as open prayer time. 
where we're done with the practicing, other kinds of things. Come, let's pray. Because it's going to be a big part of it. That we would see and experience revival in our own life, in our own communities, and revival in the American church. Why revival tarries? Angela, come close us out. Ushers, come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and your connect cards and your serve cards. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing. And let's just give him all the honor and the praise. Would you place your palms upward to receive from the Lord as we pray to finish out? Lord Jesus Christ, in this divine sacred moment, in this space set aside for us to gather to worship you, we lift up our palms to receive from you your spirit's power and your strength for the week ahead, for the day maybe that's right before us. Lord, the instructions that your spirit would speak to us about, especially as it relates to building a biblically healthy, functioning community of Christ. Lord, may we receive from you and may we live a spirit-filled self, sacrificially giving to one another and to others. Lord, may you raise up 
your beauty, not only in our church, but in all churches in this valley who seek to place you at the forefront. For Lord Jesus, we know through your eyes, although there are local expressions, there is only one true body of yours. And Lord, we pray for our body and not only ours, but for others, including our sister church that's having its first service down the way here this morning with Orchard. Lord, may we find ourselves endearing ourselves to your plans and your purposes and being a part of your kingdom's movement to bring about your will here on earth as it is in heaven. And so now send us out as a body filled with your spirit, defined by the character of your very essence and mobilized by the voice of your commands to minister to a hurting world. So go with us, abide with us, and Lord, may we give you all the glory in all ways. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks. If you'd like to be prayed with, there's people that you can pray with up, up front, but have a great week.